talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing, our show where here in 2021 now, we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work. Well, we shouldn't call it that anymore, I guess, because now we're on to season five. We have hit the milestone. We are now post-Sorkin, but it is still his work overall, uh, but I do want to make that distinction. But here we are in season five, episode one, entitled 7AWF uh something something we we have a joke for 2069 <laughs> in, in the notes WTF here for 2069 <laughs> which would have been great um which is referring to the case number that Zoe Bartlett has become now that she is an active kidnapping case anyway i am dave and i am still stu and we are still here despite sorkin being gone where we're here to chronicle the last 3 post-Sorkin seasons of the West Wing uh, and rip them apart, essentially. So here we are still smack dab in the ongoing storyline of Zoe's kidnapping from the finale that we just discussed last episode. And at this point now, we have John Goodman, special guest star, as Republican House Speaker, now President, Glenn Allen Walker. And he is... He is going going about things. Yeah, he's ripping and uh, he's ripping and running here. Like he's he's doing stuff. He's <clears throat> he's you know shaking shaking things up. Um, now that he has taken over, and we we get cuts between him and Bartlett, and you know everyone's still very respectful of Bartlett, but you know uh, Walken is now calling the shots. Yeah, I actually I can never keep it straight is it walker or walk in it's walk in like walk christopher in. okay 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 because i was yeah. calling it walker earlier and uh, no whatever. It's okay a, it's, so walk it's, in. it's glenn walk in okay is um is john goodman's fictional character name but i'll just mostly call him john goodman yeah <laughs> because he's mostly just john goodman he puts in like a little bit of a southern accent um just a little and we find out in this episode he's from missouri mm-hmm. i believe he was the congressman from missouri yep uh or senator uh, or whatnot, but, uh, no, he's Speaker of the House, so yeah, Congressman. Congressman. Um, yeah, so he's Congressman from Missouri, now President. Uh, and so the whole point of Bartlett 25thing Amendment, Amendment, <laughs> 25th Amendment in himself was that Bartlett couldn't make clear and sober decisions because his daughter was kidnapped potentially by foreign terrorists. You know, they thought he won't be able to negotiate, and if they harmed Zoe at all, he would just go, like, complete aggro on the Middle East and start, like, World War Three. But here's yeah, like- John Goodman, <laughs> and he says, well, if Zoe Bartlett dies, I'm gonna fucking nuke Mecca and start World War Three. And I- it's like, well, what was the point of Bartlett taking off? There, there's a whole lot of confusion over this, because I'm assuming at this point, so this is 2000... It's end of 2003, Three, four. end of 2003 yeah. here. There's the show and its writers now, I don't know, with Sorkin gone, whatever, who cares? Um, they know that they have to sort of tread carefully on this sure. subject because we've had the Ura blow up glass the Middle East 
thing, and we're in the middle of the first sort of counter, um, like the the reaction pushback, yeah, to that because it's been yeah. two full years of just right. disgusting jingoism. And right. Yeah, America was all for it in like the first week or two when we thought it would take two weeks to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, oh, okay, this will just take like a month. Oorah, yeah, launch those missiles. Woo, USA, USA. Yeah. <laughs> and now, now, two years into it, people are correctly starting to realize like, oh, this is a fucking quagmire. And what the fuck are we still doing over there? And resentment is starting to build. And lo and behold, here we are in 2021. And these wars are technically still, still being fought. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of like, and this is actually... At the front end of this episode, there's a lot of dealing with this subject because you have Josh and to like the senior level staff sort of have like a little sit about, oh, mm-hmm. have they made a mistake putting um, Walken in charge of the thing? Yeah, and doing the 25th. Yeah. So, first of all, Josh says uh, when they're doing like one of the press conferences and they're talking about, you know, these Bahi sleeper cells and whatnot, and Josh is like watching the TV and he says, I'm guessing burka sales are going to take a dip this afternoon. Fucking I actually missed that. What? Holy hell. What? Yeah. I, this show gets very Islamophobic, as we've noted before with Toby uh, oftentimes. And then Josh gets into it, too. And I feel like Sorkin is basically saying, like, the Jews are allowed to be because mm. both Toby and Josh are, are Jewish characters. Yeah, and that would make sense from his sort of mostly solipsist kind of perspective on things mm-hmm. because what he like oh you guys have been ruined by the arabs for a long time you're allowed to be mad yeah well and so there's also and i Which guess stupid of course well while, while we're talking about josh there is also josh completely getting uh like oh, completely God. missing the point of why bartlett 25th himself he sits there right. and he's complaining he's like abe lincoln and Kennedy had kids who died while they were in office and and they weren't like crying about it in 25th in themselves and thank god Toby like reels him back in here because like that that's not the that's not the point a dead right. kid isn't leverage yeah man. you can't you can't make hostage demands with a corpse <laughs> you can you can only do it with an alive child <laughs> it's it's like it's the Kumaris threatening to send Tad Lincoln's ghost into the White House. <laughs> <laughs> we we have it. We control it. Yeah. And we will haunt your ass That's unless right. you give in to our demands. <laughs> Expect to get a good haunting out of this. You will not sleep a good night for mm. the rest of your life. And so to- Toby like kind of Does reminds him back. Of, yeah. of said thing. And then Josh also sort of redeems himself saying essentially that the crisis may not tidally resolve in a couple of days right. at which point it's like okay we do need to have a plan for how for, this works right like what if we just literally gave control of the government yeah, to yeah. the opposition party which is starting to hit in at this point among josh and a couple other people when they start to realize um he goes and gives a press conference john goodman does and he's surprisingly good despite being completely blunt. In fact, well, you know, one could argue, I think Americans appreciate bluntness mm. in some regard. Oh, for you know? sure. Especially when it comes to politics. They want someone who sounds like a straight shooter, who's not talking to them in the way a typical politician talks to them. And this is, you know, part of Trump's appeal in a certain sense, was that he didn't talk the way normal politicians talked. 
And we get a taste of that with John Goodman here, where he's just like, yeah, I'll blow up the bastards. Next question. <laughs> yeah, and he spends, he's, I think it's always, as always, like we, we say a lot is meeting people where they're at. And people mm-hmm. aren't necessarily racist monsters, although quite a few of them are, but it's much easier to meet them where they're at if you don't just, if you don't treat them like they're stupid. And right. The, the problem, I think, one of the fundamental problems with the conservative ideology in this country is that it's, it has co-opted, I guess, simple and folksy terms because they're easy. Right. They're easy. Right. There's no nuance necessary. Yeah. And so they, they've become the party of, like, clear and plain language while at the same time lying a lot. Yes. But doing it in a, in a clear and coherent way with their terminology and their language choice. And like you said, sort of reclaiming simple and folksy vocabulary. Yeah. Well, and, and liberals As can't... opposed to the Democrats become increasingly technocratic with their speech and it becomes a walking parody of how politicians talk. And this was a lot of the thing like before both of the last time elections and a lot of lefty podcasts have hammered this home where it's just like people, people aren't stupid. They are... Not really. They're... They're misguided occasionally. They're heavily they're propagandized. Product, yeah, they're a product of their environment more than anything. But for the most part, one-on-one, you can get someone to follow you down the logical, ideal path of, of leftism, sort of. If you if you just talk one-on-one and you get them to agree that they hate their boss and they <laughs> yeah. hate their job and shit like that. But on a societal level with mass media and things like that, propagandizing them... You, you get a lot of these people who are just products of their environment and it doesn't help a ton to rail against them individually so much as to recognize it's a systemic issue. Well, and I, I also think that just like the, the simple communication style that is, is and has been co-opted and reserved for the right wing is that's why it's so effective because people right. can smell bullshit and yeah. and one of the one of the hallmarks of bullshit as a God, I was talking about this tweet. So minor derail here. There's a tweet the other day of um, a blog from a poster who is nominally left liberal. Her name's Aisha Siddiqui. Posted like oh, right. 700 words about the kind of the canonical cartoon of the two clearly Middle Eastern people where a drone is bombing them and one of them says, I hear the next one's going to be sent by a woman. <laughs> really makes you feel like a part of history. Exactly. And this this woman just wrote 700 words of, you know, pablum and deep vocabulary and stuff, but it all essentially boiled down to like, well, I don't like this. Right. And it's like, okay, like, okay. Well, then that's your problem to and, deal with. <laughs> and anybody who, and, and frankly, the vast majority of Americans who are politically disaffected, who do not have time to engage with flowery language about these things, will look at that and be like, like I'm not reading they, that. I'm, like, get over, like, what the yeah. fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah, as opposed to if they came across the cartoon in the wild for the first time, mm-hmm. they would be like, huh. Oh wow, that makes a a pretty poignant point. Yeah, and then maybe it would spark something in the back of their mind to think over the next couple of days or weeks. Exactly. So anyway, to rerail, this is <laughs> this is kind of like the quintessential um, conflict with the messaging in the two the two administrations here because again, the senior staff is a bunch of speechwriters and right and the press secretary. and lawyers <laughs> and lawyers. Yeah, and so they they all have this 
fondness for rhetoric and impressive sounding rhetoric, which is the politician speak that gets so routinely mistrusted by the vast majority of the American public because people, like you said, know when they're being bullshitted. And to their credit, they recognize that John Goodman is skilled at this without needing a lot of language. Yeah. Like, he just comes in and does his own press conference and, like, fucking crushes it, basically. Um, uh, Even, like, you know, they have Will sitting there and going, like, oh, good answer, so that you understand (laughs) it's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, I do want to impress overall the lack of quality is pretty obvious already, which is kind of shocking, given that we're, we're only, like, one episode removed from Sorkin having control of this thing to uh, not having control anymore. And the quality jump is significant already. I think um, for at least this cycle, um, a large portion of that will be somewhat salvaged on the shoulders of the actors into whom these words are being placed. Like um, John Goodman, obviously, uh, Jelko Ivanek as his chief of staff, his nominal chief of staff. Yeah, he does a surprisingly good job. You, I think you guys mentioned you saw him in the last episode when he, he shows yep. up to, for the swearing in, but he doesn't talk yet. Well, in this episode, he starts talking, and he's really good. He's He's got this, like, quiet, sort of om- almost sinister, mm-hmm. but, you're, like, but you're not sure if he's just, like, evil or super serious. <laughs> and, it, like, it, it works really well for, like, a Republican advisor kind of thing where he's almost worm tongue-esque except for sure you don't think that john goodman is being like corrupted by this man so much as like oh yeah these are two peas in a pod yeah and it helps that he looks like a vampire no offense <laughs> Love you, Jelko. yeah he looks very evil like in, in a in, in a good way like i'm sure the man is fine yeah. and if he smiled or whatever he would look nice but they don't let him smile in this show and so he looks like fucking evil <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh let's take a quick break because i think here's a good natural time to pause and we're going to catch up on some more of the like reactions to the new administration okay And welcome back. Uh, so to keep going here, let's talk about uh, Danny Concanon, who shows up in this episode. And in the uh, previous finale, CJ and Leo had agreed to a deal with him to hold back on the We Assassinated Sharif story for three days while they figure out where these Bali sleepers have gone and what's going on with Zoe and etc. etc. New president... Uh, Walken immediately breaks this deal because, in his words, it's not his deal. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 decides to go ahead and announce the Sharif uh, assassination to the world uh, ahead of time uh, before Danny can run his exclusive story that he worked so hard on for months and months and years. Uh, this is almost equivalent to that guy who's like, I worked on the story for a whole year, and he he just tweeted it out. 
<laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> this is pre-Twitter, but this is a qu- of basically the same thing happening. Well, so I also like I made a note here where it's Danny. Danny threatens CJ specifically. He's just like, if I don't hear from you guys in 24 hours, it's going up online. And he's basically saying, I'm gonna post the fuck out of this. I'm, I'm a post bitch. <laughs> Posting. Yeah. Yeah. The power. The power of posting in this episode. And so once CJ gets word. Uh, that Goodman is going to tell the story before Danny can get his carefully worked on story. She 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 realizes the uh, the threat to him and goes to Danny and says, "Quick, just publish now. Just do it now. Hit send. Hit post. <laughs> post post that shit, motherfucker." Yeah. Well. So and when they're like making the decision to do this, you can see. So they have they have a big meeting in the the Oval Office, which is coded as belonging to new Mr. President man right. by having his the, dog his his shitty yappy dog yeah. <laughs> occupy a chair I I love that ju- that Glenn Walken's character is the kind of guy who have a tiny shitty dog <laughs> like he's not he's not a big dog man you would expect a big man to have a big dog no he's a little dog guy <laughs> and like so he's given the dog all this deference but like in the because keep in mind the the administration the actual the Bartlett administration hasn't broadcast this information they haven't informed right. anybody outside of congressional leadership that they yeah, actually and the gang of eight. Right. killed like a foreign leader yeah. and yeah broke the neutrality act all all that stuff well, you know? and in this scene president walken just says it out loud but also you watch his staff learn about it for the first time in what i think is probably the best acting sort of like acting in um like cinematography part of this mm-hmm. episode because nobody says anything that you all right. just get to see them sort of like slightly raise their eyebrows like oh we did what <laughs> huh <laughs> yeah but then my favorite part is that so bartlett and everyone has been so worried about the backlash of assassinating sharif and then glenn just comes out and handles the backlash in one press conference yeah yeah, yeah, and, and then it's done, and then no one will talk about it again, and it, we're on to tomorrow's news, and so like this this huge fear of uh oh the Sharif story is gonna come out and it's gonna kill us or whatever. He actually gets to handle it because a he didn't do it, so, which gives him a bit of distance from it all. But then b he just excuses it in this you know clear language kind of way that we talked about before that makes everyone go like oh. All right, makes sense to me. Yeah, we killed we killed the terrorist. All right, good job, America. Yeah, and so we also get the novel dynamic of Leo, who is nominally still the chief of staff, mm-hmm. and who is typically taking the side of the fucking blood gargling military, right? And yeah. contrasts him with somebody who just is leaps and bounds beyond him on the right wing psychopath scale mm-hmm. in the new president. And so we do get a lot of interaction with between. Leo just reacting to how, like, militaristic John Goodman is, which is mm-hmm. also, like, it's reasonably well done in that, but it's framed up in this traditionalist, hard men, hard choice, political oh. realist. We get a lot of guys it. staring out of windows, contemplating hard choices in this episode. Yeah, and there's also just... Nancy McNally again shows up for a few lines. Very. I oh think, my god, 
Yeah. Uh, so at one point, Nancy pitches the idea since the, the the ransomers have asked for certain political prisoners to be released that they would fake release those prisoners Ugh. and te- and televise that uh, just to stall for time. <laughs> There's no way that could backfire. <laughs> yeah. well, There's also been this whole thing. There are a bunch of lines in here where they're just like, "Oh, so you're gonna keep this a secret, huh?" How'd that go with the MS diagnosis? <laughs> right. Which is like the ultimate, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this this whole thing goes down and the sit room stuff, the, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked. Yeah, and, I love, like, their excuses, like, well, we didn't think Sharif's assassination would get out. It's like, shouldn't you understand at this point there are no secrets? Yeah, and we've, I mean, obviously we've talked about the imperial politics of this show before, but just... The language around, like, they're saying, oh, you know, there's a lot of unrest in the Middle East over this. And John, the president, walking says at some point, oh, if the Arabs are mad, we know we must be doing something right. And I'm just like, Ugh. And again, yeah. again, portrayed as a right-wing psychopath. So, okay, right. in, in terms right. of the framing, but it's just to sure, hear but- it. All, all of this just puts further and further doubt on Bartlett's decision to 25th himself. Because Bartlett himself, they keep cutting back to him in the residence, mm-hmm. and he's mostly fine. Like, he's, he's you know, Abby and the rest of them are going through, like, the five stages of grief or whatever. But Bartlett re- appears to remain, like, coldly rational and sober. And I think he'd be doing a fine job if he were president during this time. So it kind of makes the whole thing seem superfluous and just done because they needed a reason to mind drama out of the plot. And to bring it back to the point that you made initially at the start of the show, it's if the fear was that Bartlett was going to do or would have the capacity in his brain to just decide to blow some shit up because of his kidnapped daughter. Right. You've guaranteed that as an outcome by installing this this warmonger in the presidency. Who, Who is more than happy that he has an excuse now to to allow him to send the missiles flying like oh well as soon as zoe shows up dead i'm gonna nuke the shit out of out of the middle east yeah well and there are a couple other just like power we get we get glimpses of other powerful people throughout the episode because god this episode is a fucking street sweeper we get a meeting between leo and congressional leadership which is republican congressional leadership yeah i think it's the i, I mean i think it's the whole shebang like it's, yeah. it's all sides of the the spectrum here, but they oh, are, okay, it's both. Yeah. They are all pissed off for yeah for some reason, and I'm gonna I'm gonna well. So first of all, <laughs> we can't really figure out why they're why they're so mad. And in fact, one woman who is nominally and I don't know who she is necessarily. I don't even know if the show names her, but she sits there and I, she says some sort of prominent Democrat, I assume. Yeah, and she says, but Leo. You've basically single-handedly eliminated the imperial presidency, and uh, which for, first off, excuse me, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that as a term of art, like it's a it's a policy kind of term. But the you're you're in Congress, you are of the party of the president that is theoretically like an imperial president here. Why would you object? 
to the authority being distributed back to yeah. you. like To Congress, where it, in theory, should be. Yeah, it, it strikes me that yeah. maybe that's where it should be. Yeah, Congress is supposed to be the one that has the power to put us into war or not, not just the president unilaterally. But, so, yeah, there's two things wrong with the statement. A, you should want that. <laughs> but... But B, no, he didn't do that. He did not end the imperial presidency by installing a Republican warmonger who is equally, if not more, imperialist than Bartlett was. <laughs> Yo, so, so what's, what's so the objective? A, A, you have the wrong goal, and B, they didn't even do the thing you're worried about. Well, and so, to to his credit, and this uh, this is not intentional, but Leo basically just kind of sneers at these people and leaves with a quote that I just, I love, and I have a clip of it here. That's why Truman wanted the speaker third in line. Truman wanted the speaker third in line because he used to drink bourbon with Sam Rayburn. The only thing I find extraordinary about that is that a member of the executive branch actually wanted to share a drink with a member of the congressional leadership. Thank you for coming by to share your concerns. And so it's just like, yeah, yeah, dude, you're right. I wouldn't want to have a drink with these motherfuckers either. So yeah, cool. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Um, Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's a weird argument, and at a weird time. And then, um, so and then finally, the last thing I want to talk about in this segment is Jean Paul, who is now. Entered the realm of Mandy and Christian Slater and other characters who are still here, but only talked about, not never seen. They have uh, they have attended the Milford School for for boys and girls and understand <laughs> that a, a good character is not to be seen nor heard. Yeah. And instead lets other characters talk about what they have done. So off screen, Jean Paul has requested immunity in the which first off you know uh, it's not diplomatic immunity he's getting immunity granted to him from from criminal prosecution criminal prosecution for so that he would give up the name of the dealer that he bought the drug from which uh, i guess they feel will be a big lead even though spoilers that doesn't matter at all in terms (laughs) of how zoe gets released nope like, I guess, you know, I get wanting to know, like, hey, okay, what what did you sell this guy exactly? Let's get it to the lab. Let's analyze it. But, like, how much help does that give at this point where we're now we're in hour 16 and whatever drug she has taken is out of her system at this point? Yeah, I'm also so in we talked about this last week when we had Emma on basically just saying this kid just disappears with no consequences. And oh, this is totally oh, fine. Okay. Wait, I get it. So. In theory, the dealer might recognize Jean-Paul as, oh, that's the president's daughter's boyfriend, and therefore gave him a different drug to be malicious, and then called up some people and was Mm. like, hey, he's going to slip the president's daughter a drug he thinks is ecstasy, but is actually GHB. Y'all want to go into the, the bathroom and kidnap her? I, I think I get it. I guess that's their logic, that, that, at least. That makes more sense than I had a slightly different chain that I was trying to work out of being like, how would he how would he know to give you fake drugs if you didn't know you were planning on roofing your your girlfriend? Because Maybe it came up in conversation. He was like, I want to buy some ecstasy <laughs> yeah. and give it to my girlfriend. She but without her it. knowing. She will love it. Especially and then we will annoying. have a good time at the club and go to France. Uh, <laughs> 
and so I and I actually when you when you describe it that way as an opportunistic thing, right? I, I follow that a little bit better. But I think like yeah, picture like the drug dealer just like selling that info to some bad guys mm-hmm. for cash or something. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, much much more opportunistic. So okay, now I get the logic of it at least a little. But at the same time, they just grant him pure immunity, <laughs> and we never hear from him again. And like. You know, I don't think he was going to end up in, like, maximum security prisoner or whatever, but he should have suffered some consequences from this. Just like, honestly, just don't even do it. Just, like, chain him to his hospital bed and say, uh, right. I mean, I'm, keys are out there, man, and until yeah, you tell you're, me. You're not going nowhere until <laughs> you tell me everything. Like, we've, we've sent people to CIA black sites in yeah, Morocco Yeah, we don't even have to worse. torture this guy yeah. or whatever. <laughs> like, you just have to make him mildly uncomfortable for a little bit, and he'll tell you whatever. He's so pampered. Yeah, he's a soft boy rich kid. So, like, yeah. <laughs> and then, again, we we harped on this last week, where it's just like, oh, it's cool. He just thought he was roofing her with ecstasy and Instead not GHB. Instead of a date rape drug. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, uh, no worries, bro. Like, We've all been there. Yeah, like, you bring know? it in. You just made a little fucky-wucky. It happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, clap on the shoulder. <laughs> you, you know, get back out there, champ. You'll get him next time. Yeah, it's the, the worst. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and that that ends Jean-Paul's arc. We will not, I believe, see see him no, nor hear about him ever again. Correctly so. And I feel like if the show had really wanted to... Actually, I don't know. Because you could have made a, like, a performative or demonstrative point of Zoe telling him to fuck off. Right. When she comes but back. But we don't even get that. But we do yeah, not we get, don't that. get that. What a shame. Uh, I think that actually could have been a cool scene. Yeah. Uh, so, but I uh, also I think at this point it would make sense that Zoe just never wants to see oh, the absolutely. guy ever again. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't so, bother either. So, but I think it would have been a cool scene if circumstances forced them to encounter each other. Like yeah, yeah. as Jean Paul's being led out of the White House, it's the same time <laughs> Zoe's coming back or something like that. Um, yeah. But it just didn't it didn't line up that way. Um, but that could it could have been a very cool scene to see. Zoe get a little bit of her agency back by just like going off on Jean Paul. <laughs> so, um, with actually, that's a good transition. Let's take another brief break, and then we have a little bit left to talk about with sort of the whole Bartlett family roundup mm-hmm. that we get at the end of the episode here. Yeah. kind of thing that ends up on the tail end of the episode is a Bartlett family reunion because yes. you know we, we bring them in because there's legitimately a family tragedy unfolding uh, uh, in in here. progress yeah so yeah. both both the daughters other daughters show up uh the older ones and they all basically they all just hang out in the residence still uh yeah. at, at one point in the, earlier in the episode someone asks about the fact that like is Glenn going to stay in the residence? And they're like, it's got 16 bedrooms. He can find a spare one. <laughs> but uh, they, they let the Bartlett family stay there, obviously, more as a matter of nicety than anything. I assume if at some point Glenn just fully took over, they would kick them out. Uh, but we don't. Mm. We never get there. 
Um, so they're all hanging out and they're just trying to do sort of simple domestic chores to kind of give a sense of normalcy. Like, you yeah. know, the girls are making lunch and, you know, d- doing things to kind of distract them. But that's when um, Bartlett comes in and Mrs. Bartlett decides to kind of have it out with him uh, in terms Whoa. of being responsible for this whole situation by killing Sharif. And is like, you never you never discussed this with me? And of course not. Like, I... They, it's it's kind of it's a it's a typical domestic scene where he walks into the kitchen and um, Ellie and Abby are making lunch yep. and he goes in and he's like hey what's what's cooking and he gets the silent treatment and he's like and then Abby blows up at him eventually because and I I understand that there's a way to be like how how dare you fucking assassinate a world leader right and not tell motherfucker. me but also why would you want to be read in on that no yeah like, if you're well I, abby's speaking from a place of grief clearly and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. a lot can be forgiven but yeah in terms of like would you really want your husband coming back to you like well i'm thinking about killing this guy honey do you you want to chime in about it so and actually now that you mentioned that or you describe it in that way what actually bugs me i think about this is the like the um the timeline because nobody when zoe was kidnapped it was not public knowledge that they murdered sharif correct so if abby had known that they had murdered sharif yeah and knew that everybody else knew that they had murdered Sharif before Zoe was kidnapped, she could legitimately be pissed off because this could right. be seen to be a reaction of that to the murder of Sharif. Exactly. But it's not. It's not. But nobody nobody knows. Right. And we and we yeah, spoilers will ultimately find out that it's not that. It's it's not mm-hmm. Islamic terrorism or whatever. And the fact that they wrote the the demands that we would expect the Islamic terrorists to write is I guess a smokescreen by the criminals to, to throw them off uh, because it ends up, as we said in the last episode, becoming just being domestic terrorists. Uh, good, good old homegrown Americans. God, God <laughs> bless the USA. So, but yeah, so it, Mrs. Bartlett is coming at this from the idea of like, well, how dare you not tell me about these things that maybe could have potentially put our children in danger, even though there's no way to connect A and B in this particular scenario. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, and again, well, the the reason that she reads as being upset is that she wasn't consulted right on the decision, and and but you don't a I, you don't have code word clearance, I, honey. Yeah, <laughs> like like if uh, he, if he told you about it, you're gonna go tell Amy Gardner, your chief of staff, and then she's gonna get drunk at a lunch and like blab it out to like seven reporters. Although Emma would push back against you and say that Amy is a consummate professional and would never divulge privilege. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> but my point, my point being, she doesn't have the clearance. It could have gotten out had mm-hmm. he told. You know, he he talks to her a lot about the job, but he always holds back on sensitive code word clearance things. And anytime it's that sort of situation, he just goes off to the sit room and then he comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm dealing with the whole thing, but he doesn't get into details. Yes. And we also see Which is the see proper way of this, doing it. Well, we see in this episode, Leo decline to tell Bartlett something. Bartlett Because he is technically no longer in the loop. Exactly. Right. 
So yeah, he has information about Glenn's military plans, and he refuses to tell them to Bartlett because Bartlett's not in that loop anymore. Which is which is frankly good. The right like thing to do. It's cool Again. And, and good to hear like and see the show. Do right. That, so. so essentially both Leo and Bartlett are doing the right things with how they're treating sensitive information. And, you know, Abby's response, emotional as it is and in this moment of extremely heightened grief, can be forgiven. But but logically, the thing that she's mad about, there's no reason to be mad about it. Yeah. The um we do get to see for the first time um, the third daughter um, right. shows up. Uh, Lizzie Bartlett is played by Annabeth Gish, Doesn't, who has had. Didn't we see her a, in the earlier episode with the with the AIDS research thing, or is that later? It's later because That's we have later. not seen. This is officially this is the, the first, first time we see her. Okay, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm spoilers for the uh, <laughs> later episode involving this character because yeah, she works in the medical field or something, and she works at a lab doing research on like AIDS, um, and they do they or herpes or some some sort of STD, and they they work with sex workers, and it becomes like a big scandal or something that they've like interviewed sex workers because you know this is still the puritanical early aughts. <laughs> Yeah. So Annabeth Gish is now in like a like a probably like a minus tier actress. She's in like all sorts. She was in Halt and Catch Fire. This this very show recently. was a was a springboard for a lot of people. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, the yeah. Elizabeth had, Moss, Dulé Hill. You know. Yeah, like, and she went forward to a very prolific career. Good after for her. This, although, to be fair. Her career was prolific because she was in Mystic Pizza in 1988. So, <laughs> so wonderful. We already had that bar to clear, but she's since surpassed. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Any any final thoughts oh, on this well, episode? So the very end of the episode, and we both remarked on this in our notes. Oh right. Um, there's a montage, guys. There's a montage. Right, and we've had them before at the end of episodes a couple of times, but only on like the really serious ones. Like I think when Mrs. Landingham died, dies. yeah. When Mrs. Landingham died, we got a montage. Uh, yep. I think we even, even got one on like the, the Toby homeless episode, but that's a pretty powerful, serious one. Mm-hmm. And this one, it feels a gratuitous and B just sort of poorly done. I don't know what it is about it, whether it's the shot selection, the speed of the cuts, or, or something like that, but it just didn't work for me in a weird way. So I think, and we were talking about this before we recorded, I think what screwed it up for me was that we spent the entire rest of the episode dealing with like the administrative policy and constitutional questions of the crisis. So we do get a little bit of a transition into the family side of the drama with all the Bartlett girls coming home. And, you know, Abby yelling at Jed there. But then we get another smash cut back into the West Wing. Mm -hmm. And then we come back to... So all the West Wing characters, by the way, are dealing with this thing that got thrown in, like, the last five minutes of the episode. Yeah, yeah, that too. Where a big terrorist bombing happens in Turkey, where a guy drives a truck full of dynamite into a movie theater, kills, like, 80 people, including 14 American troops who happen to be there on shore leave. Um who, as Leo says, they were all 24 or younger, uh, just to turn up the dial for, like, maximum tragedy. And so they're dealing with all of this, and this is what gets Glenn walking into even further, I'm gonna let slip the dogs of war, and kind of talk. 
and that's what leads to this montage of everyone just kind of like reacting to that uh if they're not reacting to zoe but it just it just doesn't work for the scene there's a, there was one other montage that i actually praised on this show the last time we had a montage i was like wow this is a, like a good use of montage and i don't understand what made that one good and made this one bad like i can't put my finger on it but it's one of those things where you know it when you see it when you had i think we we are expected to have a connection to zoe and feel emotionally attached to what's going on but it's just so um there's a little bit again of the show condescending to you via yes, this technique where that, it's like that might be it where it's like, oh, you, oh, this family, and don't you feel bad? So I don't think they the, earned it. I think that's the difference. I think the well, other episodes earned their montage. The, the the content is that it's the Bartlett family going to celebrate a private mass, too. So it's very heavily, like, there is a presumption of solemnity about it because they go to church. Right, because it's and so, like, they're in a cathedral. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, You know what? You can, I think that's also why it doesn't work. They're, the show's reusing the same tricks it's did in, like, two cathedrals. Like, you're, you're trying to borrow the the solemnity of, of two cathedrals and just kind of shove it into this random season five episode. And I get it because, you know, Bartlett's political ideology is underpinned by his Catholicism to a sure. degree, which is which is fine. But like, it's just it is the again the presumptuousness of it, where you are expected to vest your own right. seriousness in it because he's in a church, right? Like, you could easily do this of them sitting around the West Wing, right? Like, and as I, be, if anything, it actually pulled the seriousness away a little bit when he eats his little Christ cracker at the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I'm, oh. I'm sorry, I'm Jewish. And for me, the the Catholic taking of communion, while I understand it's very sacred and important, it always looks silly to me. I don't know why. <laughs> it's, it's grown people coming to take this little tiny cracker and, and eat it in this very serious and solemn way is just instant hilarity to me. Well, so I was raised Catholic, and like I did the like I was always. Did you put your tongue served. out and let the priest put it right on your tongue? No, that was out of fashion by the time I was receiving communion. So, like, you, you put your hands out in a special way that's supposed to symbolize a heart because Jesus loves you. I'm not making this up. Oh, the... <laughs> um, so, you get the little cracker in it. But there are other ways of doing this. And my, my personal favorite is that some, some like, denominations of Catholicism have bred like in cubes and they mix it up in the red wine in a big cup and there use a little go. spoon there to you. feed you like Jesus Both soup. blood and body. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it rules. Jesus stew. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, li- I like that. That's, that's better than, yeah, uh, than so. just the cracker. Uh, so yeah, that's literally the, the image we end on is Bartlett taking uh, communion and, you know, the whole, the whole family being racked with grief. And that's where we end on a sort of mini cliffhanger. And we'll pick right back up with the next episode, Dogs of War, which just goes straight on from here. So we're fully in the realm of serialization uh, at this point. Yeah. And I think we were talking about this a little bit where we had just gotten through with praising the serialization 
of the entire probably what 10 last episodes yeah, of last like, season well really the sharif arc goes from all the way from the all end the way of season, season three. 3 all the way through season 4 and leading to the zoe kidnapping even though we ultimately find out they aren't truly linked you know it, it is the plot line itself runs all the way through a full season well, and so theoretically it comes into this episode, but I think the thing that bugged me, and you mentioned it too, about the random bombing in Turkey is like, even if don't, you Don't can, we have enough to deal with? Yeah. <laughs> like, even if you can connect it to the overall arc of radical Middle Eastern terrorists or whatever, what it's so jarring and abrupt. And it's just like, oh, also this oh, and, happened. Oh, and... Uh, when as soon as uh Glenn decides to attack uh the the Turkey, you know, attack some like bases in Turkey, uh, or you know what they call terrorist training schools, which are you know oh, yeah. madrasas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as soon as he decides to do this, Nancy McNally says, and I swear to God, I'm I'm gonna quote it is like this will be the first time we have ever attacked an ally, a sovereign ally. And I'm like, mm-hmm. excuse me, what the fuck? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Nancy, you're the head of the NSA. You should know about at least two dozen operations where we've done this before in the last two decades. Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, we were looking at this up before, like there's a, a definitive now, like divergent history that goes back to like Nixon. Right. On the oh, show, where, yeah. On the show, because uh, what actually Admiral happened. Fitzwallis references the 1986 Libya bombings as a, a being successful, which <laughs> okay, sure, <laughs> uh, but B having happened, which they happened under Reagan, and this show doesn't have a Reagan. You know, we have like James mm-hmm. uh, Cromwell or whatever um, is the fictional Reagan that we end up seeing when they go to uh, Lassiter. Right, that's yes. the fictional yep. name. Lassiter, yep. Is like the fictional Reagan that they would have had because their history diverged at Nixon. Um, so yeah, which leads to interesting. So some someone at some point asks, "Is Glenn Walken gonna get a presidential library?" Uh, <laughs> you know, someone says, "Well, he has to have a presidential portrait now, now that he's been president." And someone goes, "Does he get a library?" And Leo's like, "He's not gonna be here that long." <laughs> it's just, it's like, oh. Oh no! Some other some other white guys in in the driver's seat for a little while. Right. I, I don't want him to be lauded. No. I don't want him to. <laughs> I don't want him to get all the all the norms yeah. and, and respect <laughs> that the president gets just for being president, if, if only for a few days. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously they vest this gravity in the the office and yes. in the institution or else we wouldn't have the show right the, so, the show has been all about this every time we see a ceremonial promotion or the swearing mm-hmm. in or whatever they laud it with so much import and pomp and circumstance and and whatnot <laughs> i would also like to note that this show was um taking its cue from harry potter before the libs did during the trump administration <laughs> because oh. there are a couple people who refused to use the term president. Oh, right. To what talking to, to walk in. Yeah. <laughs> As if the word itself has power. Yes. Pre- it's pre- really bad. President, he who must not be named. <laughs> exactly. And also, very briefly, again, and we'll wrap this up. They do a very good, the the sound engineering in this episode is very good. They are, There are a lot of scenes where we have John Goodman filmed either in close-up or when he's speaking and they leave his microphone on and catch him 
he- like, heavily breathing. Bre- heavily yeah. breathing. Yeah. And it helps to portray this aura of grossness. Right. Right. Which, yeah, which doesn't exist because he's John Goodman, and I fucking right. love. Yeah, John he's still Goodman. charismatic as shit, but like it's <laughs> yeah. a it's a good subtle way of like reminding you, like, oh, this this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, and there's a gross moment with CJ. Anyway, oh right, oh, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Or it's one of those things where like Bartlett would never make that kind of joke, and you see CJ just kind of like pause for a moment mentally <laughs> and be like should i say something and then just be like ah fuck it <laughs> this guy's gonna this guy's gonna be gone in a week i've dealt with worse yeah, he, he like remarks on her ass in a skirt yeah, or something it, like and she's, then uh, they're trying to get the dog hair off her skirt and her assistant's like whapping it away he's like oh you'd have to pay extra for that the kitty clad club <laughs> <laughs> and it's like wow i thought aaron sorkin was gone who's writing these jokes <laughs> He calls her over and has her adjust his tie too, which is right, like, like big power move. And he does it as he's talking about he he interrogates her about like, well, Danny published just before I gave the word. I wonder how that happened, CJ. <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, sort of like kudos, like okay, good. You needed to do a little bit more work making John Goodman seem unlikable, bad. and that's, right because the rest of yeah. the episode does a lot of work in making him seem competent. And, and powerful yes uh so you need to do some work to make it be like well why shouldn't we like this guy better than bartlett <laughs> because and I think he's because he's an... so charismatic and everything you kind of get that feel <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair i think this is where um the ideology clashes with like the mythos of the strong man here because he's a stronger people... man <laughs> Well, and the type of people who are watching this show who revere The Office watch him slide so effortlessly into succeeding at it. Like, like in my but, brain, if uh, I'm putting... But he didn't campaign, and he didn't do, like, all this work you're supposed to do before you become president. And But he's making it look so easy. Well, and also, like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of getting, like, a president boner about this guy already. Really quickly. Like, really quickly. <laughs> it took, like, you know, half of the first season for you to feel that way about Bartlett. Like he was, yeah. he was a big idiot who drove his bike into a tree in the first episode. Like, yeah, you didn't, you know, you didn't feel the respect for him until like midway through season one. This guy comes in and is like, after five minutes, you're like, oh, yes, sir, President Walken. Yeah, the look is this the the rest of the three seasons is just going to be President Walken. <laughs> like, that actually that'd be dope, and I it makes me miss a time when you could have cliffhangers like this. Where mm. we didn't, we weren't in a world where contract negotiations were already known in advance and talked about on Twitter and whatnot. You know, you could actually have these big cliffhangers and and have some sort of meat to them because, like, hey, maybe the show is just John Goodman from here out on. You don't know, viewer watching this in two thousand three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it leads to an interesting dynamic, but overall the quality is definitely down uh, as we've discussed in this episode. But I think that that pretty much does it uh, for this yeah. episode of the worst wing. Thank, thanks as always for listening. We always appreciate any comments, feedback, etc. You want to drop uh, on our thread on either something awful or in the podcast thread on bread and roses. Uh, if you found the show another way, hello, welcome. Don't know how you got here, but happy to have you. And if you want to email the show with any thoughts, comments, questions, we love to get fan email. Uh, you can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Which is nice. Which is, is always nice always to receive nice. email. So thanks again for listening, and we will be back next time, uh, back on schedule, to discuss the next episode, Dogs of War. All right. Bye, y'all. Stay safe. Bye-bye. All the money you asked for. 
But don't ask me to come on along 